Welcome to the Gatecast. Presented by Alan and Mike. Lucy, I'm home. I am not Lucy. Oh, you're right. We'll just upload a computer virus into the mothership. I was going to do my living room like this. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Gatecast wrap-up for Season 9 of SG-1. And we were due to be joined for Brad, but he appears to have gone AWOL. Mike? Good evening, everybody. Yes, bad Brad. All those times he sent feedback in and he's volunteered to be on an episode with us. It's all forgotten, all wiped out by this one missing episode. If I might say, first a sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> well, yeah, that's genre-specific. Yeah, well, it, it seemed appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> well, not so much sudden as unexpected, so I suppose definitely not inevitable. Okay, then. These episodes, as I'm sure you're aware, are lost and bereft without numbers. They float unattached. Yeah, quite right. So we've actually done more than the... 230-ish episodes that we've we actually give a number to. Oh, well, probably with bonus episodes and stuff, we probably passed 250 some time ago. Mm, maybe there. Not that it really matters. People seem to like numbers divisible by 10. Do they? I'm not sure why. Uh, me neither. First I've heard of it. Well, most people consider things like 100, 200, 250. They celebrate anniversaries like this. Okay, in the continuing absence of Brad, shall we kick off? Yep. Like often is the case, I haven't got time to just around doing note. Sorry? Criticising you of anything. But like I say, Friday night is normally when I sit down and finish the podcast, otherwise it doesn't get done. <laughs> Nothing like giving me a deadline to get me motivated. You don't take the Douglas Adams approach to deadlines, then? The exact quote is, he likes the whooshing sound they make as they go by. <laughs> I find unless I have an assignment due in the next week or so, I tend to really feck all with it. Yeah. I need an actual deadline, which explains why I haven't even started my initial thesis report. Because it's not due for another year. Oh yeah, you think plenty of time. Four months. <laughs> do you want to do a little intro thing to each episode? And do you want to leave the numbers to before or after poll-wise? We'll do an intro to each episode, talk about it, and we'll do the uh, voting as we go along. Might as well, I suppose. Something which I probably should have done before this. Okay then, folks, this is the Stargate SG-1 wrap-up show. As we've said, we were hoping to have a third voice. Well, half the time we can't remember what we, we talked about doing each episode, and Brad seems to take notice. Gasp. <laughs> yes, we really wouldn't like to lose him. Although I have seen some of his truck driving videos on Facebook recently. Yeah, and I'm thinking, how wide is the truck? It doesn't seem to quite fit in the lane. Well, yeah, that sums up an Australian truck, doesn't it, really? Whenever you're driving next to a truck, you know, you tend to let the truck do what it wants. Well, unless you're a complete idiot. <laughs> Avalon Part 1 First broadcast July the 15th, 2005 Written by Robert C. Cooper And directed by Andy Makita What do you remember of it? Um, absolutely nothing so, Which is why I'm reading a little synopsis here <laughs> Great <laughs> The introduction of Cameron Mitchell Played by Ben Browder Former F-302 pilot Who crashed during the uh, battle over Antarctica Or was it the Arctic? I can never remember which um, yeah, I think so. It was all white. <laughs> anyway, he gets put in charge of SG-1. Unfortunately, every member of SG-1 has quit <laughs> doing other things. And, of course, 
the thing which people started referring to it as Farscape SG-1. Of course, yes. Ben is joined by Claudia Black. Playing a character somewhat different from Aaron's son. Although often with similar outfits. Less pleather, I think. Of, well, everything, really. <laughs> yes, less. Very definitely less. Yeah, she returns to see Daniel. She brings the magic bracelets with her, which bound him together. Yes, that's unfortunate. She only tells him about the bracelets after she'd put them on. Now, for a woman who seems capable of enacting quite complex and detailed plans, steal things, she doesn't really think beyond that, does she? She sets herself small goals which you can meet, and by the time you've done that three or four times, you've got to your final destination. You know, SG-1, start with save the galaxy. Have to figure out how to do it. Valor, steal ship. Fly to planet, save galaxy. <laughs> well, Valor's just steal ship, and then I'll figure out what to do after I've stolen the ship. Steal ship, steal treasure. What do you actually do with the treasure? Find paradise planet. <laughs> anyway, they end up in Glastonbury. Of course, there's an ancient depository buried under the uh, tor. Of course it is. Yeah, and that's where we get a pretty decent cliffhanger as the roof starts lowering down on Cameron and everybody and go to squish him. Oh, yes, the Indiana Jones moment. <laughs> yeah, quite right, yeah. Especially since I just watched Blade Runner, I'm in a sort of Harrison Ford moment. Right then, Avalon Part 1 got one vote. It weren't me. It wasn't you, okay. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what I did vote for, but I know it wasn't this. I should probably take note of these things. You think it'll come to you as we go along? I'm hoping. Right. <laughs> come try ya! Episode 2 of Season 9, Avalon. Where did that come? With one vote. Joint last, obviously. Well, not joint last, because there were a few episodes that didn't get any votes. Oh, okay. Let's leave exactly where it came out of 20 episodes until the end. Fair enough. Thank you. <laughs> okay, then. Avalon Part 2. First third, July the 22nd, 2005. Again, written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Andy Makita. Shocker, they got out of the uh, death trap. Of course they did. Otherwise, it would have been a very short season. Fooled you. <laughs> <laughs> you thought he was the new team. And this is why you didn't want to get the band back together. You thought there were an art season. <laughs> <laughs> Sci-Fi only gave us two episodes and wrapped the story up. <laughs> ah, yeah. And still better than the We're Out 13 sixth episode. And Pete's incredibly stupid haircut. I, I, I just couldn't see past it. I know. Not to go too far off topic, since I dare say a lot of people yeah. watch SG-1, also watch We're Out 13, but how disappointing was those six episodes? How disappointing was that haircut? It was just... Oh. It must have been for a bet. must have been. I have no idea. If I ever see him at Con, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> I should have asked him last time. Of course, it wasn't known at that stage. Yeah. Anyway, Avon Pot 2. As I say, they solved the puzzle and Cameron got to fight the knight, the holographic knight with the sword from the stone. Indeed. We see the first use of the communication stones. Was that in the next episode? Oh, no, sorry. Yes, of course it was, yeah. They found the device, didn't they? Indeed. Yeah. And discovered a way to turn it off. Eventually. Daniel and Valor ended up jumping into the Ori galaxy, inhabiting two other people's bodies. That's when we've got guest R, April Tellet. Now, sadly, a charcoal briquette. Yeah, pity about that, really. You know, Granted, she was, in the Ori's eyes, a traitor. She was conspiring against them, but at least make it because of something she did. <laughs> and, of course, rather... Uh, Disturbing scene with Valor getting uh, burnt to a crisp. Did she actually get burnt to a crisp or did she almost get burnt to a crisp? Pryor came at the end, raised his staff up, healed her, then took her to the Celestus. Oh, right. To be continued. 
I see. We met Lexa Doy, new character, Dr. Lamb, for the first time as well. But we don't see her relationship with... We also, we forgot to mention General Landry. All right, we've mentioned him now. I think we... Bo Bridges. Shows the uh, power of the show after nine seasons that they could attract someone like Bo Bridges to it, though. Quite right, yeah. Even at that stage of his career. I mean, he's doing a lot more television nowadays, but mm-hmm. he's, you know, probably get a couple of movies every year if he wanted them. Movie actors see a regular television show as basically a meal ticket. It's not as intense. You usually know where you're going to be for six to eight months. And if you do it for a couple of seasons, your paycheck rises slowly, you get an executive producer credit, and you're on easy street. <laughs> so how did this do in the overall? Avalon Part 2 got two votes. Ooh, twice as many as the first one. Yes, surprising. But then again, we've always seen with two-parters, you know, they tend to uh, vary in entertainment value. And this, technically, I suppose, was a three-part, even though Part 3 did have a different name. Of course it did. It's almost tradition. Sorry, it's a disco reference you wouldn't get. We are the Rusted Robot Podcast. Lower your shields and surrender your minds. We will add your MP3 recordings and opinion on Geekery to our own. We will adapt to embrace this culture. Resistance is futile. It's the Borg. Commander Adama, Cybermen, Daleks, and Cylons are fast approaching. Jump gates forming in multiple sectors, and the Doctor's nowhere to be found. What are we going to do? Tune into the Rusted Robot Podcast at therustedrobot.podbean.com and on the iTunes Store. Sean and Bridget Vanderloo's love for all things geekery and robots are our only hope. Oh, boy. Get rusted today. Robots. Cyborg. Androids. Oh, my. Rusted Robot. Come try ya. Season 9, Episode 3, Origin, July the 29th, 2005. Written by Rob C. Cooper. Got to be said that Rob does tend to write most of the pivotal episodes of the 10 seasons of Stargate SG-1. And why not? He just became <laughs> pretty much the man on the spot. Directed by Brad Turner. And this is where we see Julian Sands as a doci and Louis Gossett Jr. as Garrick. Indeed. And we get our first look at Celestus, the city of technically their ancients, I suppose, but... Mm. From a different neighbourhood, and don't like loud music. I see on the uh, wiki it lists the race in the episode, and the last two and three have, as well as Jaffa and Oleroy, something called Ver Egan. Ver Egan? Hmm. As a race. Never heard of that. Ah, a race of humans living in the village of Ver Egan on the planet of Celestis in the home galaxy of the Alterans. The Ver Egans were one of many of the groups of humans, gratefully alright for the purpose of worshipping them. And the village was one of the primary hubs of anti-Oroi activity. The village of Veregia. Yes. Or if this was Star Trek, Captain Kirk would rub a few spots on it. Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> Origin was nominated for a Gemini Award, Best Achievement in Makeup. I imagine that was for probably Julian Sands, mostly. Most likely. Yeah, he did look, I was going to say, he looked a bit sandblasted, but <laughs> quite appropriate for him to think of it. Indeed. Bit of a waste of a bloody good actor. Pardon the wiki, General Landry wants to learn more about Garrick. Oh yeah, of course. He's he's angling to be the leader of the Jafar Free Nation, isn't he? Something that Braytac and Tilk, when they decided to free uh, the Jafar, they didn't think another bloke would come in and take over. Well, didn't Braytac being typically sort of modest refuse the leadership? I mean, didn't they 
just want to appoint Teok by general acclaim. I always got the impression that uh, because it was not a democracy, but what would be the word? Theocracy. Well, the old rule was a theocracy. You might call it a meritocracy. Well, basically, it got divvied up based on military power. And there were too many people who weren't very happy with Teok because of his association with the uh, Tari, mm-hmm. who many saw as uh, just another oppressor or manipulator of the Jafar. That's unfortunate. No reason to assume that the human race, when it gets to the stars, won't stick our collective noses in other cultures and say, hey, we know what's best. <laughs> well, at least the American portion of the human race. Uh, I think we're all guilty of it. Anyway, Origin, it got two votes. So we're seeing a slowly rise in votes as we go through episodes. Well, one vote, two votes, two votes. So plateaued a bit, I think, after three episodes. Two data points are an observation, three data points are a trend. Yeah, not if the last two are the same, though. Okay, moving on to the ties that bind, otherwise to me known as the Rally Contour episode. Yep, quite right. First broadcast August the 5th, 2005. Written by the dynamic duo of Paul Mully and Joseph Malozin, directed by Will Wearing. I've got it down as a scavenger hunt. And of course, the great Wally Sean guest starred in this episode with his suggestive finger movements, which had everybody very uneasy. <laughs> As he described his moonlight flit with Valor. <laughs> yeah, you got to wonder, was that when Valor was still... As a point of interest, having been taken by a ghoul, does Valor still have the slowed ageing thing? I mean, how old is Valor's body? Who knows? She counts her life beginning as when she uh, was freed from the symbiote. Two ties to DS9 with that episode. One was the fact that it pretty much replicated story-wise an episode with Cisco's son, um, Nog, searching for various items to make everyone a bit happier, and the fact that, of course, your guest I was mentioned also played in Aegis, did he not? Oh, quite right, yeah. I always think of him as uh, from The Princess Bride. Ah, yes, well, not quite sure. That was my text message alert for a while. What, inconceivable? No, my oh. name is Inigo Montoya, you killed oh. my father, prepared <laughs> to die. Okay, then, The Ties That Bind, uh, an episode that didn't feature Amanda tapping again. Uh-huh. Well, she's still on maternity leave. She had a, a daughter during the hiatus, so reasonably well planned. <laughs> Convenient. Yeah, so this episode got six votes. Ooh. Not bad. Well. Okay, then, Episode 5, The Powers That Be. First aired August the 12th, written by Martin Garrow, directed by Will Waring again. Here we meet Katesh. Well, a variation thereof. No symbiote, just tending to be Katesh. Yes. I have to say, episodes featuring Val are just fun. They do tend to be, don't they? You know what I mean? Especially her interactions with Daniel Jackson. Because he's normally, at this point, he's become a sort of pure, self-confident, respected member of the team. And then Val comes along and just completely cuts him off at the knees. Well, yeah, let's face it, first time he met her, you know, she did a kind of a dominatrix routine on him, then next time, beat the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. Some would call that love. <laughs> well, she seemed disappointed that he stripped her naked and then didn't take advantage of her. Well, <laughs> you did the hard work, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that if Valor decided that you weren't going to get anywhere with her, then you wouldn't get anywhere with her. Indeed not. Okay, in this episode, of course, we got the first... Evidence of the Ori using a biological weapon against inhabitants of the Milky Way as well. Yes, people got sick and died. Wasn't good. Wasn't good at all. And of course, you know, embrace origin and all will be saved. 
and you can't really blame the villagers for doing so. It saved Cameron's life, after all. It did? Well, yeah, he, he got the disease. Oh, yeah, they laughed at that one, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, that was one where they uh, had to run away with a tail between the legs. Pretty much a force for Stargate. You didn't get many... Uh, things definitely toward dark or torn in this season. I mean, it's hard to imagine how you could make any serious humour out of the galaxy being invaded by a group of beings that are more powerful than anything you've ever met before. Or at least more willing to use that power. Or abuse. Not in their eyes, of course. Of course not. The powers that be got a single vote. Oh, that might have been me. That might have been you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to look into the polls if they can actually put your name against Everybody knows who's voting for what. Well, they wouldn't put my name against it, but my IP would probably be fairly identifiable as Finland. <laughs> Come try ya! Okay, episode six, Beachhead. 3rd August the 19th, written by Brad Wright, directed by Brad Turner. And the first time they already used the wee splat manoeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was enjoyable for the first few seconds. I'm flying, I'm flying. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I see this thing, it's big. And, uh, I think I'll call it ground. I wonder if it'll be friends with me. <laughs> Flat. You know, as I say, it's not, it's not the fall that kills you, it's some stop at the end. Well, right. We met Colonel Pendergrass in this episode, played by Bradley Hope. Also Nerus, played by Maury Chaikin. We're on the planet Kalana, where the the local Stargate is being used by Prior of the Ori. And the planet's basically kind of going... I suppose you could say they chose the uh, Jack O'Neill with one L option. If in doubt, nuke it. Unfortunately, that was the plan by the Ori all along, and we walked right into it. Although the image they have of the thing on wiki looks possibly because of the way the shield is there with the explosion it looks a bit like a death star it does a bit don't it but i think they also said that when neris came to the sgc and has a little holographic display pretty much a globe with a circular indentation on it <laughs> very star wars. i'm surprised they didn't have any tilt goes that looked familiar <laughs> big star wars fan after all yeah he'd seen it what 14 times <laughs> yeah on vhs <laughs> i had them on vhs who didn't? Well, perhaps anybody that's older than 20, maybe younger than 20. <laughs> it's the reason I bought the editions I bought on two-disc DVD, because he had the original theatrical cuts as a bonus feature on the second disc. Yeah, laser disc. Bloody hell. Does that still work? Well, I sold mine, so I don't know. Oh. No reason if, if you've got a player in disc, it won't work. By all accounts, Babylon 5 laser disc are the highest quality transfers. It's analogue. How can it be anything but no compression involved? True enough. And we apparently wave goodbye to Valor here. Oh, quite right, yes, because Garrick turns up, starts firing on uh, the planet, throws a few threats at Prometheus. I'm thinking it's dangerous, mm. of course not. It's Colonel Pendergrass commanded the uh, Prometheus for now. Yeah. Fortunately, as the Ori Supergate got generated, Valor realised how she could save the day. Nobody listened to her, and she pretty much sacrificed herself from the SGC's point of view. And then Alakesh, yes? Yes. Yeah, the Hatak, the big one. Got nominated for a, a Gemini. Best visual effects, perfectly understandable. Mm -hmm. And it got seven votes. Ooh, leader so far. So far. Come try ya! Okay then, up next, episode seven. Ex Deus Machina. August the 26th. Written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Malik. Directed by Martin Wood, who was taking a break from Atlantis to direct an episode of SG-1. He didn't do many of them this season. And Ball. Well, hey, Cliff Simon. Yes. In a t-shirt, in a suit, rocking the casual look. 
saw him at Dragon Con. Yeah. Still looked obscenely handsome. <laughs> Many uh, a Stargate fan, I'd say fangirl, but I suppose there's plenty of guys who thinks he's uh, attractive as well. But... Yes, well. We also got Agent Barrett, Peter Fleming, in this episode. Once again, trying to rekindle his, well, non-relationship with Sam. Oh, uh, what, a P? No, not P. No, yeah, Agent Barrett, he uh, flirted with her for a while. And he's still alive. <laughs> yes, surprisingly. So he referred to her, he must have had sex with her at one point then. Sleeping with Sam is the only way to avoid actually being killed horribly. So basically it's all or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this was the episode with the uh, disappearing skyscraper. It took a lot to let that pass. Or more to the point, didn't anybody mention the fact that a skyscraper disappeared? Oh, they probably passed it off as some sort of, you know, terrorist release, some hallucinogenic. It was a an illusionist TV special that went horribly wrong. Yes. He never brought it back. And believe it or not, there's probably many people that would believe that. Well, considering that there are states where more than 50% of the population in America believe angels are real. Can you prove they're not? It's impossible to prove a negative. <laughs> well, that's faith, surely. Anyhow. Blind faith, anyway. <laughs> yeah, this was the episode where the uh, the Jafar landed on that uh, office block <laughs> mm. and did the... <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Full firefight. Staff weapons versus oozes. <laughs> that was excellent, that was. Looked brilliant. And it wasn't even a space spot. I'm surprised you enjoyed it so much. Uh, you just you got to admit, when you've got aliens running around <laughs> in a tower block, having a full-out war with security guards, and that's something that you don't see very often. Indeed not. And of course, Bowel gets captured by Garrick and executed. Yes, but as you discover, there are many more bowels. Yes. Garrick doesn't appear to have all the bowels that are on the table. Uh, he likes people to think he has them. But <laughs> this episode got three votes. Oh. I thought it might have got more. Oh, are you indicating that you might have voted for it? Then? No, I didn't vote for it. But having uh, Cliff Simon on it, you know, that's a, normally the mark of a bit of fan appreciation. Not to worry. Next up, episode 8, Babylon. First aired September the 9th, written by Damien Kindler, directed by Peter DeLuise. Yes, our first episode to really sort of genuinely feature just Cameron. Yes, he went and got himself captured by the Sudan. An offshoot of the Jafar who went their own ways after rebelling against their system lord. And pretty much by uh, reverse engineering and building ancient base weaponry have lived perfectly happily for thousands of years, with cloaking technology as well. Oh, yes. Which might totally drive someone slightly outside. It might have, yes. We got Tony Todd as the, the leader of the Sudan, also the brothers Jason and Jarvis George. It was an action... Uh, not an action pack, well, there was plenty of action, but also were... I was going to say star stars, but that's probably a little too much. A very high calibre of guest stars for this episode, as well as a very nice-looking village that they built. Mm. Tony Todd, a man who'll never need a subwoofer. <laughs> you know, I think Edward James Alamos uh, stole his vocal stylings for uh, Battlestar Galactica. A little bit more gravel, please. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he was almost unrecognisable as Leon. Ah, yes. Mind you, we're all forever haunted by his uh, look of wearing the Speedos in Miami Vice. Nope, I can't say I remember that. <laughs> Fair enough, don't look I'm not going to Google it. <laughs> okay, Babylon. Very much based on the movie The Last Samurai. Which I've also not seen. You've not seen that movie either. Yep. Oh, pretty good for a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. This episode got three votes. Ah. And of course we do see Jarvis, George and Tony Todd in the episode later on in the season. 
Indeed. Right then, up next, Prototype. I like this one. Do you? First heard September the 16th, 2005. Written by Alan McCullough, a new writer to the writing staff for this season. And directed by Peter DeLuise. And of course, Woolsey, Robert Picardo, joins us again. Yay. Yes, SG-1, find planet with an ancient laboratory. Laboratory? Laboratory. (laughs) Laboratory. And inside a status... Status... Oh, hell. (laughs) A status chamber, Taylor, played by Neil Jackson. Excellently scenery-chewing the evil. He plays his role wonderfully well. As it turned out, a clone of Anubis. And trying to create a body that could actually contain his essence without breaking down. Yes, rapidly on the... After SG-1 were mean enough to blow him up at the end of season 8. Rapidly approaching Ascension as well. Yes, it was one of those episodes where Woolsey came came along and said all the wrong things. Maybe for the right reasons, but all the wrong things. Eventually, I think at least a couple of guards got seriously injured, if not killed because of it. Cameron got thrown about like a rag doll. Mm-hmm. It did not go very well. It was fun. It was fun, yeah, it was. Unfortunately, only got one vote. Right, I'm not admitting to that. <laughs> right. Come try ya! Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Music by JewelBeat.com. Come try ya! Episode 10, The Fourth Horseman, Part 1. Uh, revisiting of the Plague. Yes, first heard September the 16th, written by Damien Kindler and directed by Andy Makita, who won uh, a Leo Award this year. Congratulations. Yay. Oh, we get the return of Donis Davis in his last official role as General Hammond. God rest him. Cameron Bright also guest starred in this episode as the returned ascended being Orlan. Looking a little bit younger than he did when he bedded Sam. Not an annoyingly precocious child. Mildly annoying. He was playing a clever bugger. Yeah, <laughs> but he didn't suffer from the Wesley Crusher effect. No. As in everyone who saw the episode wanted him to die. <laughs> yes, the plague finds its way to Earth. A couple of SG-1 guys were undercover on an alien world that was being visited by the Priors. They got the laying on of hands. Unfortunately, the Prior knew who they were. Mm-hmm. All went to hell. And very rapidly, the disease spread. Very rapidly. The memory serves huge chunks of exposition. It was required, though, for this episode, because they couldn't exactly show a global pandemic spreading through America and leaving leaving the uh, border, could they? No. They relied on a situation room. Apart from the little red dots on the map. <laughs> you can see it spreading. After one day, this was after one week, and then after two months, the whole world was red. Never a good. And then what happens? We've run out of red ink. Unfortunately, nobody's alive to care. 
Well, that and the fact that we run out of screen time and decide to make it a two-parter. Yes, it really did need it. This was the return of uh, Amanda Tapping to the show. I think this was the first one for the season, or... No, it couldn't have been. She must have been in one of the... Of course she was. She was in uh, Beachhead, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she featured heavily in this episode because she spent a lot of time with Orlan talking about everything but what they did together last time. And memory serves, you said this two-parter was about all the... He decided not to continue to pursue acting and he, in effect, often did something else. Who's that? The actor playing Orland. No, no, he was busy. Okay. They were originally intending to bring him back, but, of course, work commitments meant they couldn't, so it were a last-minute rewrite, the last-minute casting to get Cameron into the role. I think, as I said, that pretty much gave him his grip. He learned every word of his role, probably better than the regular cast, and just went for it. Fair play. He can be seen in this last season of Motive as well. The Canadian police drama. Yeah. There seems to be some agreement with Netflix never to buy Canadian shows. Surely there must be some. Um, Lost Girls on there. Is that it? <laughs> Not many. I, I can't find Motive. I can't find Arctic Air. I can't find Saving Hope. All shows worthy of watching. Yes. Perhaps, again, Amazon have a deal with, I think, Bell Media in Canada. And sure, they're pretty much the powers that be north of the border. Anyhow, The Fourth Horseman Part 1 got one vote. Oh, bless. Okay, Fourth Horseman, Part 2. 1st of January the 6th, 2006. Written by Joseph and Paul, directed by Andy Makita. Ah, good old Andy. Does seem a little strange to have two parts of a two-parter written by different people, but I suppose a lot of collaboration has to go on just to make sure we're all on the same page. Yes, and uh, we see a noble sacrifice. Who by? Doesn't Garrick effectively kill himself to cure the plague? Yes, this is where... Because of the work that Sam has been doing and Orlan, they perfect, or at least get the Ori disruptor to work, a device which basically disrupts the signals that the prior receives from the Ori. William B. Davis plays the Ori in question, the cigarette-smoking man from the X-Files, Alec from Continuum, or one of the Alex from Continuum, one of the many Alex from Continuum. I'm two episodes behind. <laughs> okay. Yes, Garrick has become a prior which kind of shocked the Jaffa Council, and he's fully embraced Origin, until they tell him to go to Tulek and pretty much wipe out the Jaffa there. This is the opening that Tilt needed to have a good sit-down chat with him, point out that Garrick's father himself died for freedom, and by joining forces with the Ori, it's pretty much taking away that choice from the Jaffar. Indeed. And Garrick sees the light, visits the SGC, cures the plague, and for his sins is burnt alive by the Ori. Spontaneously combust in a remarkably neat and ash-free fashion. Yeah, you'd th- you think that that level of punishment, you'd think, spread it around a bit. Should have at least left the chair mark on the floor. <laughs> yeah, although I suppose the janitors are very thankful that they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, not another one I've got to clean up. Yeah, The Fourth Horseman, part two, got one vote. I see. Mid-season finale and uh, mid-season return would have got a bit better than not to be. And, of course, the episode number also appears to be the emergency phone number for the US. <laughs> yes. Right then, episode 12, Collateral Damage. First aired January the 13th, 2006. Written by Joe and Paul. Directed by Will Waring. And this was the episode where they went nuts with the camera techniques. Well, pretty much a bottle episode. In terms of effects and sets, the opposite of book. In terms of arkiness, not a Mission. Standalone episode, yeah. yeah. And bottle episodes are supposed to be cheap, and I get the impression this is anything but. 
Yeah, the bottle episode uses existing sets and locations so they don't have to actually spend any money building anything. And hopefully use the existing cast as well, so you don't have to pay any guest stars. This did have a couple of decent guest stars. William Atherton as Barter, Anna Galvin as Rhea, the love interest to Cameron, oh. who unfortunately died for her sins quite viciously as well. Yeah, you got to wonder, is this our first Cameroon as Kirk episode? I suppose you could argue the fact, you know, he, he hadn't... Well, yes, he had been off-world a lot. I think they made a point of, uh, was it his 100th or 200th gate travel? Maybe not in this episode, but they did make a point of that in one episode. So many, many missions which we didn't bother to chronicle. Quite right, yeah. This was the episode with the memory device. The SGC and Earth were looking at some sort of technology exchange. Obviously, the ability to train pilots and doctors, you know, in a couple of days was uh, beneficial. Indeed. Although, as it turned out, the uh, potential pitfalls of this technology pretty much negated positive benefits. Guarantee you the trust and the loosening of the lines would be interested in it. <laughs> yes. As Cameron was brainwashing to believing he'd killed Rhea with all the memories intact. Unfortunately, it all worked out in the end. And uh, although we did get the flashback, yeah. we saw his dad, Frank Mitchell. We also saw uh, Michael Shanks' daughter, Titania, in one background shot. Ah. Unfortunately, this episode did not get any votes. Did he? I didn't mind that episode. It was interesting. Maybe because it was interesting and somewhat different. No, people didn't vote for it. Could be. You could be right there, yeah. Anyway, on to the next episode. Come try ya! 13. Ripple Effect. Good morning. Here he is. Good evening. <laughs> I'm on my phone. My computer's still not booting up. Fair oh. enough. We're halfway through anyway. Oh, okay. More than halfway through. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good, good. Do you remember which episode you voted for? Uh, We're up to uh, episode 13, so if you haven't voted for any of the first 12, save it for a surprise. Brad's joined us now, so we'll carry on with episode 13, Ripple Effect. First broadcast January the 20th, 2006. Written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by Peter DeLuise. Many, many people. <laughs> Multiple SG-1s and, and the return of, despite what I said when we were recording it, Kowalski wasn't actually in it. No, he wasn't, was he? We did have many Sams, so uh, very, very happy, Alan. Martouf and Janet as well. You're never dead in science fiction. No, however, they weren't enough for me to like this episode. You're kidding. You didn't like Ripple Effect? Oh, just the pots, so, yeah, I, I just couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I like St. Janet in that back, but, yeah, they too horned him into a horror episode to try and get the ratings up for it, I think. Yeah, we're going to jump through alternate realities just to get a, a ZPM. Hmm. You can't find one in your oh, reality, surely. There must be one. Yeah, well, the ancients left everything lying around. There's got to be one somewhere. Yeah, there's more ancient laboratories lying around the galaxy. Too many to shake a stick at. Hmm. You could have gotten more poetic with that and mentioned some long lines of grains of sand or stars in the sky. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. You might. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> A fan favourite, it has to be said, mainly because Terrell Roffrey returned and J.R. Bourne as well. As we saw, uh, a lot of fun, multiple SG-1 units, so they got every single costume or uniform, if you will, <laughs> out of storage. For... Cleaned out wardrobe. Yeah, I'm sure wardrobe loved this episode. Yeah, we even had a SG-1 unit that had the uh, armbands on. The little hint at the end for Cam to cut the grain wire when the time comes and time never comes. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> someone's idea of putting that little that little bit in there for a later episode and they mustn't have come back to write anymore 
Well, or that, or it could be simply uh, that people would be intensely watching. I'm sure there was much fan discussion about the Green Wire and what the Green Wire would mean. Mm, that and the fact that we got at least one SG1 member in their underwear. Mm. It was Cameron, which would suit some people. Me, not so much. No, not especially. 95% sure I voted for this. I am 100% sure I voted for this. Ooh. Oh, really? <laughs> so it got at least two. <laughs> Ripple Effect got 17 votes. Oh, Yes. Leader by a significant margin and probable winner. I wonder if that's just the nostalgia of having the actors back. That was my reason. I liked yeah. it because we got Terrell and JR back in the show. Yep. As you said, it, it could have been a much better story. They have done better stories, bringing in different people or same characters. We've certainly, when, well, I suppose you could call him Miratilk, landed on Cheyenne Mountain and invaded. That was a different version of Tilt that was played really well by Christopher Judge. Mm, played with Gary, with little Gary. <laughs> of course, it's a trope of the Mirror Universe. The evil version has to have a goatee. <laughs> there uh, may have been a wedding as well. Yeah. Oh, there was. I mean, alternate Amanda Tapping said, I take it he's not married to you in this universe. Some interesting names for this episode in different markets. The French called it Domino Effect. The Italians, Parallel Universes. The Czech Republic resonance effect. It will sound too when Sam starts a, a multiverse spiel. When you see Daniel Polly bow his head and take his glasses off. He's heard it all before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, we also get a new Asgard. So, not hemorrhoid yes, yet, not there. No, not, not hemorrhoid yet, no. <laughs> <laughs> he will always be hemorrhoid. Of course he will. It's, uh, <laughs> come on, you tell me they didn't think of that when they named him. <laughs> Okay then, episode 14, Stronghold. First aired January the 27th, written by Alan McCullough, directed by Peter DeLuise. Always known as Now in My Time of Dying. Yes, we get good old Ball back again. He wasn't dead after all. No, no he's back and he's going after the Friedrichar. Yeah, a fiendish plan to brainwash members of the council to uh, vote down the uh, proposal of democracy. We can't have democracy, although one man, one vote, he'd probably be all for. <laughs> yeah, in the uh, veterinary tradition. Quite right. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, he's the man and he's got the vote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, Simone Bailey is playing Kellel, and Reed Diamond guest stars in this episode as Bryce Ferguson. And we get the return of the memory device. Surprisingly uh, downbeat episode, considering basically he's... Uh, visiting his terminally ill friend. Mm. It's really uh, typifies this season as not a sort of cheerful and bright and bouncy and happy-go-lucky as other previous seasons. It's definitely... I don't know, that's weird. And you, it sort of ends too on the downer because you know he dies. Or you, Jimmy dies. Yeah, so this episode ends up with a pretty intense firefight as the SGC send multiple units to engage Bol on his attack, which is actually landed on a planet. And of course, Tilt is captured, he's being tortured, his Tritonin being denied from him, and Braytac is held prisoner. Yes, and in goes Cam's army of one. Surprisingly, he saves the day. And Bold dies. Again. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a very bad habit. To... Yeah, let's just keep killing Bowls, not knowing how many <laughs> how many there are out there. Yeah, keep going. When, when they finally stop turning up, we've uh, killed them all. Stronghold got eight votes. Mm. Good show. Come try ya! 
tuning into Sci-Fi TV. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Brent Barrett. I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Wendy Hembrock. The Viewer's Guide to Genre Television. Welcome, everyone, to a special Supernatural-focused bonus Hello, everyone, show. and welcome to The Fae Files. A family of podcasts for the genre-loving television viewer. Welcome to Saturday Bee Movie Reel. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Study welcome Group. Welcome to the top genre characters of all time countdown. And tonight, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 3. Find us at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. Ethon, broadcast February the 3rd, written by Damien Kindler from a story by Rob C. Cooper and directed by Ken Girotti. A couple of decent guest stars, Matthew Bennett reprising his role as Jared Kane and Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters playing Goran. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're back with the Rand Protectorate and Caledonian... Wobbling. Uh, whatever. They were all, yeah. <laughs> there was a federation in there somewhere. Yeah, something like that. They were always bitching at each other, you know. This isn't Jonas Quinn's plan. No. I'm just wondering, when did they appear before? Icon, season 8. Yes, that's when Daniel, they visited the planet and barked off for a little Oh, war. yeah, that. Yeah, and SG-1 just left. Civil War, I think. And broke up a marriage, pretty much. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not to worry. No. I'm just going now. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. Yeah. The Ori have paid this world a visit and given the Rand... Yeah, Rand Protectorate. Yeah. Was it the Rand? They gave the Rand Protectorate the plans to build an orbital weapons platform. And of course they fully embraced Origin and decided to destroy Caledonians and destroy the uh, Prometheus when it turned up. Yeah, at the end of the space <laughs> office. Yeah. yeah. Mike had some severe issues with the fact that, oh, let's target it and sit here. Let's not use immediately. <laughs> let's just give the warning. They said it themselves, you know, if we went paused and had a look for Daniel, we could have destroyed it in the first shot. Mm. You know, if you decide to go into battle, you do it decisively. Yep, you already know what you're going there to do. You don't stop and start second-guessing once you got there. If there's any doubt, you don't do it. If you're pure, then you do it. I mean, this is Daniel. It's not like death is going to be a bother to him. Daniel Lazarus Jackson. I noticed last night when I was watching the movie, I mean, he dies in that. This is something he's been doing for a very long time. <laughs> It's a good habit to have, isn't it, really? Within reason, overuse of the sarcophagus can cause sort of monomania. <laughs> right, Ethan, one vote. Oh, really? I was nearly going to put this down as number one, but it slipped to number two. Oh, right. Come Oh, yes. The alien corn in Off the Grid. And some remarkably well-timed beamings. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> First broadcast February the 10th, written by Alan McCullough and directed by Peter DeLuise. This is our first introduction to Colonel Emerson and the Odyssey and the uh, CASA. Edictive corn, which Lucian Alliance are pretty much pimping throughout their part of the galaxy. Sweet corn heaven. Yeah. yeah. Cameron Shaft. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Tim Shaft. Yeah. <laughs> I never realised that. I am such completely lacking in all knowledge of things uh, mechanical. Didn't they mention it in the show itself? Quite possibly, but he, he I mean, tries, yeah, he tries to explain it. <laughs> and surprisingly, which is rare for Stargate, at least rare for Amanda Tapping on Stargate, cleavage. Lots yeah. of cleavage. Not quite. On a scale of one to Freya, probably about five. <laughs> I fondly remember Freya, at least parts of her. And we also met Natan, played by Eric Steinberg. He was the leader of the Lucian Alliance. Excellent, underplayed bad guy. Mm. menacing mm. but ultimately perhaps not the best episode of Stargate SG-1 <laughs> but it did get three votes mm. which is more than quite a few episodes of season 9 Field the Farscape Gate 
uh, a lot more yeah. than being all dressed up in leather on the off-world mission. Yeah, so it did a bit, didn't it? We even got a few jokes out of Tilk, or at least some dry observations. <laughs> How could the laugh out loud humour by Tilk standards? <laughs> yes, much better than the chorus god with the dripping nose. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> you are both equally. Come try ya! Right, episode 17, The Scourge. First third February the 17th, written by Joseph and Paul, directed by Genjiotti again. And we get a visit by the IOA, led by Robert Woolsey, and guest stars Tamlin Tamita, who was playing the Chinese delegate Shen Zai. I almost voted for this. Almost. Mm. The creature feature episode, yeah. of I'll get you on. Type and genre of programming that you don't seem to like much. I don't like no, not the not the really bad sort of Sharknado kind of stuff that you watch. Sharknado's not bad. No, it's terrible. Take that back. Oh no, I put these. <laughs> oh no, I put these bugs in the same category. Overpowered, served the plot really. Yeah, capable of eating not only fabric <laughs> bones but also uh, processed metal. Mm. <laughs> they even survived the self-destruct of the gamma base. Yep. Perhaps because they'd already done a run about the yeah. time the, the colonel blew it up. That might have been a mistake. <laughs> I'm sure Donna Davis' yeah, character was like, damn it, I'm the only one who's supposed to blow bases up. <laughs> i say it wasn't a bad episode. Woolsey was a lot of fun. There was some undercurrent of potential plot element with the uh, Chinese representative doing a bit of headhunting with Daniel. <laughs> you know, if we were in charge, would you be willing to join us and Daniel? Well, yes, if she's going to do it for the right reasons. Yeah, that's an interesting one. What if the Chinese ran the Stargate program and not the US government? One thing's for sure, there'd be a lot of red shirts. <laughs> We've got people to spare. Don't worry about it. Um, Believe it or not, the Scourge got no votes. Bugs kept people away. Yes. Because like, nothing can move that fast underground, for one. And I'm sorry, I'm including premise in this as well. <laughs> Ground has too much mass for things to move through it that fast. Next you'll be criticising the mummy. Yeah, well, that's where my hatred for these bugs come from, but that's another story. <laughs> okay. And Cam speaks Mandarin, which we never knew. Or at least one phrase. Yes. He understood one phrase, and, or at least had a phrase he could say that was suitable for any occasion. Totally possible they had the weapons brought to them because the IOC were there. Why was the Olympic Committee there? <laughs> uh, jumping through the Stargate, that's one <laughs> hell of a long jump. <laughs> yeah, can we have that for one of our rings? <laughs> Fine, IOA, whatever. I'm going to play my dyslexia card one more time. You weren't reading that, were you? It yeah. doesn't work like that. Okay. Mm, and we've got our second off-world base now where you can clearly see jeeps and there's a fuel truck out front, but I'm just wondering how they go getting all that into Giant Mountain and out through the gate. Unless a... Daedalus took them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they had fighters there as well. Mm. Yeah, well, they were going for the throw too, so... Come try ya! Episode 18, Arthur's Mantle, aired February the 24th, written by Alan McCullough, directed by Peter DeLuise. They are on the top of his game. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. They've been miniaturised. <laughs> <laughs> they could have got about six feet in any direction. We've calculated how far they could run on their tiny, tiny legs. I'm assuming, of course, that the, you know, the tiled floor, they weren't stuck in a, probably a grout of depression. <laughs> Mini Grand Canyon. <laughs> Lots of humour in this episode. You had Sam pretty much poking Daniel, then poking Cameron. Oh, yeah, the author's mantle, of course. One of the devices found at Glastonbury turned out to be not only a, a gateway to an alternate universe, but also kind of some sort of... Encyclopedia? Mm, yeah, notebook, journal. We haven't seen before. No. 
coming out of those first two episodes, all we've really seen there was the, the loot and the book. They got the communication device. Ah, yes. You can pretty much add anything to that as and when the plot requires it. Mm, exactly. Oh, let's not forget zombies. Yes. Or at least zombie. Uh, a zombie. A zombie that knows how to use weaponry. Mm-hmm. Technically, I suppose, not a zombie, but for our purposes, a zombie. Mm. I found it interesting, because I just listened to this episode uh, the other day. Uh, just... I was going to say, let's use the in-the-flash phrase for it, a post-mortem syndrome sufferer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I recommend In the Flash to you, Brad. Basically, it's the zombie apocalypse as handled by the NHS. Ah. Yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, when you were talking, I thought maybe the Telcheck device had done something, or I had similar technology, but I said in the episode the prior, I touched his head. Yeah, but the prior himself is pretty much powerless. Everything he does is by the will of the Ori, or more to the point, they are providing him with the uh, the energy, the the knowledge. That's why when they're able to block off Sorry, William B. Davis, I can't remember the character's name. Mm-hmm. In The Fourth Horseman, he was powerless because mm. the signals had been blocked. Yeah. The underlying technology is probably the same. Anyway, we've got uh, Tony Todd. Granted, he was wounded and his, his voice a little rougher than usual. That's possible. <laughs> and Jarvis W. George reprised his role again, although as acting roles go, uh, he didn't require to do much, just to get made up and run around grunting. And... Yes, I don't think he was handed a script for this one. No. <laughs> I suppose it saves you having to learn lines. You figure, oh, we want for you for the episode, but we're not going to send you a script. You want to ad lib in the whole thing? You're going to be a zombie. Great. Oh. <laughs> right, Arthur's Mantle got four votes. Yeah, it's the build for ancient killing weapon, or the aura killing weapon. Yeah, quite right, yes. And of all of, all of it, they've given a gate address, so continues. Contraya! Episode 19, Crusade. A wonderful Daniel E episode, especially when he's as himself. Well, what I call Daniel's hello sailor moment. I'm trying to figure out what your hello sailor moment is. <laughs> where Daniel is being oh, Valor. In the shower, so in it. The hand gestures where, where he's playing Valor in him. Oh, when Valor's playing Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. I've got you. Yes, we see the return of Claudia Black. Her spirit, essence, if you will, is in the body of Daniel Jackson, who takes this opportunity to walk into the men's locker room, <laughs> gets a, an eyeful of something, I'm not quite sure what, but <laughs> probably looked very suspicious at the time. <laughs> Claudia was pregnant when this was filmed, as you could tell, of course. <laughs> she was really pregnant. This was first aired March 3rd, 2006, written and directed by Rob C. Cooper. This was his first episode of Stargate that he directed. We also got uh, guest star Tim Guinea as Toman, who was Valor's husband in the Ori Galaxy. He was put upon, I tell you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and Michael Ironside. I was going to say, don't forget the big one. <laughs> he died well. Yes, he lasted one although, episode. <laughs> yes, although the waitress died even better. <laughs> Which is surprising. He's a Canadian actor and it's the first time he's been on the series. Well, he's, he's so busy doing everything else, isn't he? I was going to say, he's in everything else. <laughs> you know, he, he probably just popped back to Vancouver just for one day or something and says, hey, have you got an hour? Yeah, come and do our show. Uh, we um, pretty much clip episode with all new clips. Typically, Stargate, the one with Barber, is another non-standard clip show one. Yeah. Citizen Joe. Which is thankful, because when they did a clip show, it stunk to high heaven. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. When Tilk on trial for his life, that was uh, how not to do a clip show. Yeah, bottom five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Chinese make their move, offer the Russians a very generous package deal to get their hands on the Stargate, and Chekhov returns and makes it publicly known to uh, Landry 
which is basically double-crossing the Chinese. Mm -hmm. What could the Russians be after? Oh, yes. <laughs> a fully loaded 303 right off the production line. Yeah. Not a bad deal for a further few years of loaning a Stargate. Now let's see if they know how to fly it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you told me, you don't know how it works. Yep, they named it the Korolev, and Colonel Chekhov was going to be in command. So, not a bad deal for him at all. Mm. No, well, so he thought. <laughs> so much as if you think something went wrong. Well, something did go wrong, because this episode didn't get any votes at all. <laughs> yeah. We get a nice little fire effect above the bed, too. Oh, yes, if I yeah. remember rightly. Which I said reference Supernatural. Yes, and the grapes are being built. Yet we've still never seen a we've never seen a Stargate in the Aura Galaxy. We must assume that there's other sort of ships already there. Well, not really, because the Prize probably would have some sort of means of moving around the galaxy. But obviously, the last thing the Aura want is for their worshippers to be moving freely. Well, I suppose the other thing, everything's happening on the one world, so we don't even know if there's other worlds out there. Yes, there's no way the Ori have got that amount of power from a couple of hundred worshippers. Mm -hmm. It's got to be trillions. The whole galaxy, I imagine the whole Ori galaxy is every bit as populated as the Milky Way. The fact that we only see three ships come through that supergate in the next episode, and maybe there are further supergates open in season 10, I believe. Mm -hmm. No, the only one. They're very confident that they've got the power to defeat the people of the Milky Way because the ancients aren't helping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a bit one-sided. Yeah, well, it's almost they've only had a limited amount of power from this world, and as soon as they realise that there's a whole galaxy out there full of people, that's the burning desire to get there and start converting. The fact that it isn't made clear pretty much makes it irrelevant. Yeah. It doesn't really matter that much. It only comes back to the fact that they, um, I think it was in Avalon, where they say that they're um, based on religion, where the ancients were based on science, yet here they are building ships and everything else. But again, information's universal. Yeah. They have the knowledge, they just choose not to use it. Yeah. The only people it will help are the worshippers, and if you have an intelligent bunch of people, then they stop worshipping you. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. not going to last long. Suddenly, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> yes, no more praying to your invisible sky friend. <laughs> no. Funnily enough, I'm playing Tapped Out now, and the storyline is the great sky finger in the air that can move objects around. <laughs> <laughs> On to the season 9 finale, Camelot. First aired March 10th, 2006, written by Joseph and Paul, directed by Martin Wood. And guest stars, John Noble, playing Merrick. Mm. Also, Catherine Isabel, Gary Chalk and Noah Danby. So, uh, guest stars, along with the CGI effects, the location shoots, this would have cost a pretty penny. Yes, and more base battles that you can shake a pointy stick at. <laughs> Quite right. And sword fights. Oh, yes. Sword fights, space battles. Where can you go wrong? Black Knight. <laughs> and lots of mud. Oh, yeah. Ben, we're going to throw you down. I don't like that. In mud. Mm. Hey, <laughs> Tilk will be selling tickets. Put a bikini on. We're in business. I can guarantee you if uh, Claudia Black hadn't been heavily pregnant, they'd have thrown her into that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Found some way, because we know Amanda's not going to do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Amanda's always perfectly poised. She doesn't even need the super hold moose anymore. Yeah, it was great seeing John Noble. Bit of a surprise. Thought he'd had more to do in this episode. Of course, one of his major scenes were cut out. Catherine Isabel. I thought they missed an opportunity for her to save the day. They made a point that she could handle the sword. Mm. But all she did was pull the sword from the stone, which is pretty impressive to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, traditionally, that bestows all the courage and respect anybody's required, but not in this episode, because give it to the man. He'll save the day. Clearly someone <laughs> turned the electromagnet off. Or the pliers. <laughs> the dwarf inside the stone let go. 
I haven't seen this one in a while. I thought Cam pulled it out. I was going to ask a question if he's pulled the sword out twice. Does that mean that there might be an ancient gene thing going on here with it? The ability to be able to pull it out. We know the others haven't and they couldn't get it out in Avalon. This sword was pulled after Daniel had been mucking about with the control panel, wasn't it? Mm. So that released it. Yeah. We get some great medic timing with the beaming. Like twi- <laughs> twice. It's not magic. <laughs> Zip. Zip. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of Stargate. They reference it themselves. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're not afraid of making fun of themselves. This is how convenient it is. Yeah. And we um This episode got nominated for two Geminis, Best Sound in the Dramatic Series and Best Visual Effects. Which is only in the mm. last five minutes. <laughs> Probably, yeah. That's the thing about this episode. What a last five minutes. I mean, oh, yeah. And of course, of course Chekhov is in a ship and it's commanded by Russians, so of course nothing could possibly go wrong with it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Nothing technically did go wrong with it. The only problem was that... It got sliced in half. Unfortunately, the Asgard shield was proven so effective against other Milky Way technology has already shown itself to be very, very vulnerable to Ori-derived technology. They, they seemed about as thick and impenetrable as an after-eight mint. <laughs> it took one full-powered blast. It blocked one. It couldn't do two. Mm. Unfortunately, the Korolev got right in the way of one. Although, at this time, we do not know if it was the Odyssey or the Korolev that got destroyed. No. And Daniel is on the Korolev. Mm. Which... <laughs> and, of course, Sam, just floating there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic when the Ori ship came through the gate and you looked from air point of view. Mm. I'm guessing that's where the visual, the main nomination for visual effects would have come in. Could be, yeah the formation of the event horizon and her point PAV over the gate. Yeah, interesting design for the Ori ships as well. Mm, yes, yeah, the toilet, toilet seat. It, yeah, very much so. You look at what was on display, you had the pyramid bay ships of the uh, the former Gold. you had the Earth ships, which pretty much match what we see now in pretty much design. There's nothing unique about them. It, it looks like an evolution of what we what we would build. Mm. I even got an Asgard, an O'Neill-class Asgard ship as well. If you could ask Richard Dean Anderson a question, what would you ask him? An obvious was Army Knife. So, so Richard, magnets. <laughs> Fill the beans. I'll tell him that. <laughs> but no, we get, um, yeah, it's good to see we get Attack, the Asgard ship and our ships all fighting side by side. And I know they wanted Spencer for the start of Season 10 with not knowing which ship was destroyed, but I reckon it would have been better to see him come through and destroy the Asgard because we know how powerful they are. And if it come through and blew one of them to bits, well, we sort of shows just how much powerful. I backed myself up before I came, just in case. You know. yeah, so I'm fighting, it's imprudent. Hey, I'm fighting side <laughs> humans. I'm going to back myself up before I go out there. <laughs> yeah. You're halfway there and you realise you've got the USB drive in your pocket. Bollock. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to leave this at home. Because that's the thing. Like We see one of the one of the 304s or 305s get destroyed, but we we sort of know which one it is because it's only the new one that's not off the production line. Mm, it's good to see they blew something up anyway. If they got out of this without too much damage, it would have been a bit unbelievable. I did have of them losing lots of ships somehow, rather more than the number they did lose. Well, a few attacks get blown up. They probably lost a dozen ships, at least. No, I mean Earth. Oh, we've only, we've only got two. <laughs> Fifteen lost. Yeah. Daedalus is in Pegasus, so we only have two ships. <laughs> like I say, one of them blew up, so, well, what are you going to do? Do the paperwork for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're on our, on the, um, we've been on the run all season, the final blow. They're here and they're taking over. Right, Camelot got three votes. Mm. And that is the end of season nine. Oh. 
We'll wrap up the voting. This time around, the voting system was only open for a couple of weeks, mainly because Whitpole were actually charging for any extra length of time. The Stargate SG-1 poll got 64 votes. Number one, Ripple Effect, which got 17. Number two, Stronghold, which got eight votes. And third, Beachhead, which got seven. Mm. Yeah, now I found my notes, Mike voted for Origin. Oh, right. Just because of the um, Daniel establishes the Ori, who they are, what the whole game is. Yeah. Classic Stargate, and Beachhead was close second. So you'll be awake, I assume, tomorrow at 18.30, Mike's time? Yes. 3.30 in the morning? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's AM, not PM. <laughs> okay. i got a busy weekend, so... Yeah, we've been we've been watching your your videos of your truck driving. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. one on a lane and a half. Yeah, that's um. I know it was that truck confronting. I'm thinking he's in the turn right only lane. Why is he indicating left? <laughs> I saw, then I saw him going on the corner. I was like, oh right. And he yeah, he went right across to the far side of the street just to come back. It's fun when the street was built a hundred years ago for maybe two coaches running side by side and. They haven't really done anything widen them since. They're just covered in power lines and tram Does lines it? and everything else. The good thing about Melbourne, the, the drivers down there, they don't really care. I've been driven around Melbourne. Uh, I have to say, I can see where a lot of people uh, live about 15 miles out and just get training. Mm, yep. Okay, folks, that was the Stargate SG1 Season 9 wrap-up show. Next week, we're going to be doing the Atlanta Season 2 wrap-up show. Will you be joining us for that, Brad? I will be. Okay. I'm not sounding sceptical, but... I'll remember this time. <laughs> Keep in touch. Still looking for people to join us for Season 10 of SG1 and Season 3 of Atlantis. If you'd like to, get in touch by any of the following methods. We have a contact form on gatecast.co.uk and our email address is gatecastpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Google Plus under Gatecast and on Twitter we are at the Gatecast, which is one word. The podcast is also listed on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio, and we would love to get some reviews and ratings on both of those services. Hope you join us next week. Until then, I've been Mike. I've been Alan. And I've been Brad. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Gatecast, hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk. Stargate forever.